And I want to tell you, I really appreciated Blaine preaching for me last Sunday. Um, just his enthusiasm for God, his uh, belief that God does big things and he does, he still moves mountains as you sang earlier. I think we need to hear that. Um, it's so good for me to hear and be reminded of, I don't know if you were like me, but the events of this past week in Washington just, just so deflated me. Our president's role in that just deflated me. Um, and sometimes I look at the mess that our country's in and I just look at it and I lose hope, to be honest. I just, I look at the mess and it is such a confusing ball of a mess that I'm just like, how can this ever be solved? And so I need preaching like Blaine to remind me that God moves mountains, right? And so um, I think you also need this sermon series. We're, we're starting a new sermon series today, Less is More. And I think the reason you need this series is because our country needs Jesus. And since our country needs Jesus, our country needs his body, which is the church. And because our country needs the body of Christ, it needs abundant life. And because our country needs abundant life, it needs each person that makes up this congregation. And it's critical um, that we are living out in an authentic way the upside down values of King Jesus and his kingdom. And this series, Less is More, is going to be focused on this value of the kingdom that is generosity. This world is in dire need of some generosity in a lot of ways because we don't see much of that a lot of times going around. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. We are going to spend our time in second. It's so good to hear kids screaming. Can I get an amen for that? Praise God. Is it your kid? Oh, I'm going to have to have a conversation with her. Come on. What's that? Oh, I'm supposed to introduce the board. Man. I got thinking about... I got thinking about Blaine's deer story and totally got sidetracked. Sorry. I do need to introduce the board. Um, you know why I'm excited to introduce the board is because these guys are awesome and they are willing to take on the responsibility of leading this church. And we just talked about why this is so important. Right? And so you guys need to know who these leaders are. We just went through the election process, and you need to know who they are so you can be praying for them, so you can encourage them. And also, if you have any questions or concerns or needs, these are guys you can go to, right? So men, new board members, come on up to the stage. They're in the foyer, so we're in good shape. All right, come on, guys. Give them a warm, abundant life welcome. So, um, Justin is the lone remaining board member from last year's board. He will finish his two-year uh, term this year, so he's got a year left. Uh, Jim and Dave Curzon, they have, are coming on. Jim was re-elected for another two-year term as elder. Dave was elected uh, for his first two-year term as an elder. 
And then we have Jerry Shackle, he's coming on. Guy in the awesome Argyle sweater. Uh, he's coming on as our deacon, one of our deacons for a two year term. And then we have two more newcomers, Gary Howell and Bill Slater. They'll be coming on the board serving one year terms as deacons. Um, I'm excited to labor with these guys. I'm so glad. I, anytime I do this installation, I'm so thankful I don't lead this church by myself. It's, it's, a, it's a team that leads this church. So um, let's pray for these men. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these godly men that are on the stage. We thank you for uh, their desire to serve the flock here, your flock at Abundant Life. We know that uh, they're going to need an extra dose of your grace to lead well. Uh, we are dependent upon your wisdom that you tell us to ask for and you supply it generously because you are a generous God. And so we ask for your wisdom for these men. May they lead with integrity. May they lead with the wisdom that you supply from above. May they lead with great compassionate hearts as you, Jesus, the, the chief shepherd, have led so compassionately and continue to do so. May they mirror you in that. Lord, I pray that you would protect their walk with you, that they would be disciplined in finding times to spend with you because we know that for us to be successful, it has to come from our overflow of abiding time with you, Jesus, if we're going to bear fruit. Lord, I pray for protection over their marriages and their homes. We pray for your protection uh, from the enemy. And Lord, we pray that it would be not a duty for them to serve, but a true delight and joy. Lord, may this year of our church's existence be the most fruitful year yet. It's in Jesus' name, and it's for his glory that we labor and serve. Amen. Thank you, man. Yeah. All right, so now I can read to you the fifth, <laughs> the first. You know, the first time, one of the first times I met Bill, and the reason I knew I liked him immediately is he gave me a whole box of smiley face cookies from Lieberman Bakery. <laughs> him and Susie, come on now. Those things are so good. Are they still open? Let's, why don't we bless them with generosity this week? Let's go get some smiley face cookies. I'm on a diet. Should have done this a month ago. All right, so 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 15. Let me give you some context, because if we just pick up in the middle here, it's just going to be weird, and you won't understand it. So the context is this, that the, ch the church in Jerusalem needs money, right? They're struggling. It's, we don't know for sure why. Scholars say it's most likely due to persecution for being Christians. They need money. The Apostle Paul, he is... He's raising funds for that church, so he's gathering together a collection of money that he can bless the Jerusalem church with. He is writing to the Christians in Corinth, and, and he's encouraging them to be a part of this giving, giving opportunity. So that's what's going on, right? You'll notice in, in this passage, Paul, he uh, uses the examples of the Macedonians and Jesus as a way of models of generosity to encourage the Corinthians to give. Hopefully it'll make sense now when I read it. Here we go. 
Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. Evidently, the Corinthians started to pull their resources together but never finished getting it to the Jerusalem church. But now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also might be a completion out of what you have. For if there is... First, a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. All right. So in order for us to talk about generosity, we first need to know, have a working definition of what generosity is, so we're on the same page when we say generosity, right? Um, we will get into the why, why be generous, and the how, how to be generous in weeks to come. Today is all about what is generosity. Let me offer you this definition. Uh, this is the best I could do as I studied this passage. I think this is a pretty good understanding of what biblical generosity is. It is willingly and joyfully giving out of your surplus of resources to meet another person's need as an act of devotion to God and his people. What I want to do is I want to look at each part of this definition with you this morning. Let's start with generosity is willingly giving. So Paul emphasizes in verse 3 that the Macedonians freely gave their resources. Paul didn't have to twist their arm. He didn't have to guilt them into it. He didn't have to shame them into it. They freely gave. In fact, Paul says that they implored him that they would have this opportunity to give to the hurting church in Jerusalem. Like they implored Paul to let them be a part of it. Um, other translations say that uh, the Macedonians begged Paul to be a part of this giving opportunity. Um, it's interesting because the Macedonians themselves were in extreme poverty. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But when I was thinking about how the Macedonians freely gave, I was thinking about how generosity relates to love. And I think it relates in this way. 
Um, generosity has to be something that somebody chooses. It can't be coerced. It can't be forced. Because the moment it is forced, it ceases to be. It's no longer generosity. Same thing with love. The moment it's forced, it ceases to be love. Um, I don't think any of us would consider a taxpayer generous, right? They are simply doing what they have to do or else, right? They are simply giving to avoid some pretty dramatic negative consequences. I don't think we would consider that generous. In fact, probably most people I know, if they had the choice to, to freely give or not their taxes, they probably wouldn't pick to, to give taxes, right? So, first of all, generosity is willingly giving. And that's why Paul, you notice he says in verse 8, he says, hey, I'm not commanding you Corinthians to give. Because Paul knows the minute he starts commanding it, the minute it's going to cease to be generosity. And so what he says in verse 10 is, I'm advising you. I'm advising you to be a part of this, Corinthians. Now, I think it's important then for us to consider why we give if and when we give. Do we give because we feel like we're forced to give? And if we don't, there's going to be some negative consequences that are going to come our way. If we don't give, is that why we give? You know, some people have a view of God and they, they, they feel this obligation to give because they believe if they don't, then God's going to punish them in some way. Well, if that person is giving with that motivation, they may be giving, but they're not generous, right? Secondly, generosity is joyfully giving. It's not just willingly giving, it's joyfully giving. Notice in verse 2 of our passage um, that Paul, he mentions that the Macedonians, they were overflowing with joy when they gave to the church in Jerusalem. They were overflowing with joy. They were happy to give. It is possible to be willing to give because you think it's the right thing to do and not do it joyfully or cheerfully. Uh, it's possible to willingly give and at the same time be deeply sorrowful over what you're giving is causing you to miss out on. We can willingly give, but not do it out of delight, but out of duty. We can willingly give and hate every single minute of our giving. Maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever volunteered with somebody who obviously they're willing to volunteer? So they're willing, but they are not cheerful or joyful. And they complain the whole time they're volunteering. How long will we be doing this for? Why are the leaders doing it that way? I've had a headache all day. Boy, I got so much to do at home. La 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 la, right? You ever volunteer with that person? Have you ever been that person? Oh, no. Right? You're not like that. Is that person generous? No. Nope. Not by our definition that we find from 2 Corinthians 8. I recently had to confront a person I love about uh, the help that they've been giving me and, and the complaining spirit that's been attached to it. It wasn't fun. Probably could have handled it better. I apologize for that. We're good now. They saw it, which is great. It says a lot about them. But look, people don't want your help if you're going to be complaining the whole time. People want a generous helper, which does it joyfully. Thirdly, generosity 
is giving out of your surplus of resources. In verses 11 through 15, Paul made it clear that his purpose in encouraging the Corinthians to give to the church in Jerusalem was not so that the Corinthians would then become burdened and then the people in Jerusalem would become eased. That would defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? It would just flip-flop the problem. That's what that would do. Paul emphasizes that his goal was equality in the body of Christ. He was after equality. Um, and then Paul, he, he goes to quote Exodus 16 and verse 15. And in Exodus 16, here's what's happening. Um, as the Israelites, they went through the wilderness, God provided bread for them each morning. Fresh bread each morning, right? And each man gathered just enough for their family. Nothing more, nothing less. And the result was nobody lacked, right? Everybody had what they needed. There was equality. This is, Paul's referencing that. To, to show and emphasize, I'm looking for equality in the body of Christ. Now, here's what I find very interesting. Although Paul is after equality, the examples he gives are the Macedonians and Jesus. Now, the Macedonians, as I've already mentioned, they were in extreme poverty. And they gave, and then the scripture says they, gave, they even gave them beyond their ability. And so, in other words, they gave until it hurt, and then they gave some more. That doesn't, it seems like they were quite burdened to ease the people in Jerusalem. That doesn't sound like equality. Same thing with Jesus. Jesus' starting point was different, right? Richest person ever. When you think about his life before he became a human being, most power, most status, most wealth, he gave it all up. And he, become, he became extremely poor and disadvantaged <laughs> so that others could become so advantaged and rich. This does not seem like equality. Why is Paul giving us these examples? Here's why I think he's doing it. I think Paul is like, look, Corinthians, um, look, you know what the church in Macedonia did for the people in Jerusalem, right? You know that, you've heard about it. Pretty amazing. You know what Jesus did, right? Pretty amazing. Look, I'm not even asking you to do that. I'm just asking you to simply give out of your surplus of resources. Can you just do that? I think that's what Paul's doing here in this passage. So, guess what? If the American church would take Paul's advice, it'd be phenomenal. Barna Research Group, um, they just recently, I mean, it's a pretty recent study, 2017. This is what they found. 84% of Christian millennials born between 1984 and 2002, front row here, if you're wondering who those people are, uh, gave less than $50 to churches or nonprofits this previous year. 84% of them. 43% of Christian Gen Xers born between 1965 and 1983 gave less than $50 the previous year. 40% of Christian boomers, we have a lot of boomers in our church, born between 1946 and 1964 gave less than $50 the previous year to churches or nonprofits. And 37% of Christian elders born in 1945 or before gave less than $50 the previous year. It's pretty conclusive. No matter where you look, I mean, Barna, push pay, the statistic is that the average Christian gives about 3% of their disposable income to the church. 
and your disposable income is what you have left after taxes are taken out. So this is not even pre-tax dollars, 3%. Can you just imagine if Christians in America just gave 6% of their disposable income? Every church in our country would have twice as much money to make sure nobody in their church is going without resources and people in their community have what they need. Twice as much money. Can you imagine if everybody would get 10% of their disposable income, which is still a very small slice? It would be radical. Radical. Um, a couple things on surplus of resources. One is money is not the only resource God has blessed us with to be generous with. Um, there are other resources that God calls us to be generous with. Things like your relational capacity, emotional capacity. How generous are you with that? Do you open up to people? Do you let people in? Do you extend empathy to other people and really listen to them and value them? And really listen to them? Right? There is our possessions, our toys, our tools, our cars our beach houses, our cabins, our whatever. How tight-fisted are we with those things? Do we, lo do we don't loan tools because we're so afraid somebody would mess it up? That's being tight-fisted. I'm going to ask people for tools this week. How about that? <laughs> don't ask me for tools. Because I really like them, and you better not mess it up. Please ask me for tools. I got a lot of them. We were at a Michael's last night. Mary and I, we had a date, a surprising date. It was awesome. Bonefish grill, bang bang shrimp. Michael's, another home decorating store. What gets more exciting than that? And man, I'm just like, Mary, you can get whatever you want for your cricket because I have spent so much money in tools. Guilty. All right. So, tools. What about your skills? We have a lot of people that are skilled in a lot of ways. Some are awesome, like, um, uh, uh, what do you do when you do school at home? Homeschooling mothers. <laughs> Sorry. We have awesome homeschooling mothers. Are you sharing those skills? We have teachers. We have coaches. We have counselors. We have um, just a lot of different people. Woodworkers, right? How generous are we with our skills? What about hospitality? How generous are we with our homes? And inviting people in and treating them very well while they're there. There's so many ways to be generous. Here's another thing, and this is critical. Paul's definition of surplus is different than what ours is in 2021 in America. Our definition in America of surplus is the money you have left over after you bought the house, got the nice cars, have the vacations, have the toys, and then whatever's left over after we live a really cushy, comfortable life, that's our surplus. Paul's definition of surplus was different. It was the money you have left over after your basic needs are met. That's your surplus. What are our basic needs? Well, Adequate food, adequate clothing, adequate shelter, and I would say adequate health care and transportation. 
Those are our basic needs. Your surplus is whatever you got after that's met. Right? Generosity is willing giving, joyfully giving, giving out your surplus of resources, all of them, not just some of them, and it is fourthly, generosity meets another person's needs. Um, I didn't know the golden rule in my last sermon. I tried to say it, and I just butchered it, so I actually have to read the golden rule. Let me read it to you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the golden rule, right? Have you heard of the platinum rule? I recently have heard of it. Anybody here? I know Kevin has. I know Haley has. Anybody else heard of the platinum rule? Platinum rule goes like this. Do unto others as they would want done to them. Now, the logic of this rule is, is pretty solid, right? It, it's that this idea that everybody is not like you. And has probably different needs than you. And so if you treat other people like you, you may not be helping the person out. Right? Now, I think Jesus meant the golden rule to be followed in a platinum rule kind of way. And so I don't think there should be really, like, one's better than the other. I think this is what Jesus meant. But man, this is so important. Paul, he didn't ask... The church in Corinth to get together clothes for the church in Jerusalem or food or sandals and livestock. Maybe they needed those things, but what they needed most was money. Paul took the time to actually know what the person, what the church needed in Jerusalem before he gave. This is critical. We've all gotten that Christmas present that nobody wants, or at least you don't want. You didn't ask for, and you have no idea what to do with it, right? We've all gotten that Christmas present. You know what that becomes? Not a gift, but a burden. What do I do with this? Have you ever had somebody just come by and say, hey, got some stuff for you that you might like. If you don't like it, give it away or give it to the goodwill. Ever had anybody do that to you? Look, that's not generosity. Unless the people actually need it and you know it. Because if they don't need it, guess what you just did to them? You just gave them a job to do. Now, they have the burden of figuring out what to do with all of your stuff that you didn't want, that you were just trying to unload. Uh, this is my pet peeve. Don't even try. I'll tell you straight to your face. I don't want it. You can take it with you. Tyus says, you know some people that need some bikes, potentially. I have bikes in my van. If you don't want them, please say no. I'm not trying to offload them. Fair warning. See me after the service. <laughs> the truly generous person doesn't assume they know the real needs of the person they want to give, but rather takes the time to accurately discern them. Fifthly, generosity is an act of devotion to God and his people. Look, there are a ton of personal benefits that come with being generous. And we'll talk about those in subsequent weeks, but... Um, that can't be the only reason why we're giving, because then it's not generosity. Look, we have to be motivated by a significant degree for love for God and love for his people, for it to be truly generosity in the biblical sense. Um, let's be real. Uh, most of us struggle with people's opinions of us. We crave human approval. And, if, and this is one of the reasons why we often give. But look, if we're giving for those reasons, guess who we're really giving to? Or we're really serving. We're really giving and serving ourselves. Giving to and serving ourselves. That's what we're doing. If you struggle in that way, like if you struggle to give and, and it, there's a big part of your giving that wants that human approval, 
and you want people to think well of you, Jesus recommends the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Check it out. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Look, the discipline of secrecy combined with the partnership of the Holy Spirit, that can wean you off of this need and craving for human approval. Um, engage in it if that's a struggle for you. Um, here's another thing, though. You can become really legalistic in doing all your giving not to be seen. And you can feel really self-righteous about it. So there's a danger there. This stuff can be tricky. Um, and so, here, and then, I mean, so there, here's the trick. So, um, I will say it like this. It's okay to be seen giving. I think it was Dallas Willard who said this. It is not okay to give to be seen. Notice the distinction? That's the distinction. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else I want to say about that. As long as we know that distinction. That's good. And here's why, too. Because Jesus, earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? Matthew 5, 14 through 16, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So he's not contradicting himself. I think what Jesus is saying, if you struggle with human approval, and that's one of your main motives for giving, practice the discipline of secrecy. But it's okay if people see your good deeds, so long as you're not doing it to be seen. Got it? Let me uh, stop with this. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, Paul uh, said in his first letter to the Corinthians, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Actually, it actually just shrinks your soul. Generosity is willingly and joyfully giving out of your surplus of resources to meet another person's need as an act of devotion to God and his people. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are such a generous shepherd to us. Lord, we, I think, uh, probably, if we're all being honest, I'm sure in some way, shape, or form, probably struggle with generosity in a particular area of our life, whether it's the time we give, or it's the money, whether it's um, our possessions, being generous with them. We all probably have an area that you want to change and transform us on. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would do that. We pray that we as a church would be extravagant givers and that the result would be what uh, you preached, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, that people would see our giving and glorify you, Father in heaven. This world needs generosity. 
Lord, may we be beacons of light for it. May we represent your upside-down kingdom in this upside-down world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.